everyone, I'm Eric. And I'm Sean. And welcome to Thompson Twins, the show where we two brothers... Twins! ...talk about how great every Kelly Thompson comic book is. This week on the show, we are covering West Coast Avengers, issues one through four. This is a story arc called, well, the trade is called Best Coast. These issues don't seem to have titles. Yeah, that's right. We scoured these issues for titles. West Coast Avengers number one, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Triana Farrell, and a cover by Stefano Caselli and Nolan Woodward. That's the guy from Uncharted, right? Nolan Woodward? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. <laughs> and the cover here, we have the West Coast Avengers, the new team, all piled up on a moped, which is being carried by America Chavez. Yeah, I want to point out that two things. One, the, the moped has an anarchy sign graffitied on it. Sure does. And second of all, I just want to point out that this is a fucking amazing cover. Yeah? Yeah, like, it shows so much personality of the book. The art looks really crisp. This West Coast Avengers logo would have debuted on this cover, and this is a this is a sweet logo. This sort of brightly colored graffiti style logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got. Should we get into who these characters are, or, or should we wait until the issue? Because I want to point out that everybody has a distinct facial expression, which expresses how they feel about this whole situation. Well, the two Hawkeyes kind of have the same facial expression, but other than that, yeah. Oh, I think I think. Clint is giving a over-there kind of shout, whereas Kate is giving a holy fuck this is happening kind of shout. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, let's not run down the cast right away, and let's instead kind of talk about them as they come up. Okay, but it's a red cover. Yeah. Very good cover, and not the only one of the issues that we're going to be covering today that has a really good cover. Okay, so we open on a talking head. Right, we are at Hawkeye Investigations, and this is apparently being filmed, as indicated by the little wreck icon in the bottom right of the screen. Or I should say panel. Yeah, and there's some, some light kind of static lines. Yep, they are interviewing Clint Barton Hawkeye, the original Hawkeye who used to be in the main Avengers. Now, Clint Barton Hawkeye had his first appearance in Tales of Suspense 57 in 1964, created by Stan Lee and Don Heck. And his thing is basically, he's a dick. Well, yeah, not so much anymore. He so, seems to have mellowed over the course of his adventures in his series with Kate Bishop. Well, so partially he's mellowed. Also, he's really humanized by his characterization in the now classic Matt Fraction, David Aha run. Right. Of My Hawkeye. Life as a Weapon? Yeah. That really, like got into his characterization a lot more. And I don't know the character well enough to say, like, with any kind of certitude that, like, he was portrayed as a dick up until then. Because mm -hmm. uh, I don't really know how he was portrayed in the 90s. But definitely, like, he was a dick kind of in the golden age of comic books. Yeah. And since that Matt Fraction run, he's, like, still a dick, but a much more, like relatable, human kind of guy. Yeah. And you've probably heard of Hawkeye, but he's the Archer guy. 
He shoots the arrows. Yeah, it's worth pointing out here also that his portrayal here, again, much more inspired by that Matt Fraction comic book, not particularly in keeping with his portrayal in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. So he's doing this talking head or this video diary, and they're asking him about the fact that Kate Bishop, the other Hawkeye, is the leader of the West Coast Avengers, and he is defending that decision. Yeah, he confesses that it does get a little confusing, that they're both Hawkeye, but he certainly thinks that the person, the party in this conversation more likely to be unqualified is the reality TV show guys are unqualified to judge her more than she's unqualified (laughs) to lead the Avengers. Yeah, so... The parallel that immediately leaped to my mind here is the Atom in, like, the 1997-98 Teen Titans, Teen Titans Volume 2. Oh, I remember that book. You know, that's the first comic book that I collected every issue of. Oh, yeah? Yep. So in that brief run, there was a new Teen Titans team, which was all new characters, except the original Golden Age Atom, who had been reverted to a teenager through time fuckery, was also a member of the team, and was not particularly happy about it. This Hawkeye is actually much happier about being on the team than Adam was, but he's the one really experienced hero on the team. Yeah, I do kind of wonder, it comes up later that he's only on this team part-time. Yeah. And I wonder, A, if that's like to kind of keep him from being the Wolverine of the Avengers, where he's in every Avengers book. (laughs) Yeah. Because like this is running at the same time as Avengers No Road Home, which he is a main character in. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also kind of wonder if, like, saying that he's just part-time is his way of, like, being okay with not being the leader. Like, his protege is the leader, and he excuses that to himself by saying, well, I'm just on the team part-time. Right. Now, there's a kind of funny bit of business here where Fuse is walking by in the background and notices the camera, and so he kind of hurries out of the way. (laughs) Right, yeah. So he says that if you're doubting Kate's qualifications, you must not have seen the Santa Monica Landshark footage. And that is our transition into the Santa Monica Landshark incident. Yeah, so this is kind of like, you know, this is a good scene in that it presents, like, both danger and comedy in equal measure. And it's literally just what it sounds like. We've got a herd of land sharks (laughs) being sort of corralled by a flailing Kate Bishop. Yeah, these are sharks with legs that are running through Santa Monica, and Kate has managed to get a top one where she is riding along trying to pick off the others with arrows. So Kate Bishop has been around in comic books for a while. I think that she debuted in Young Avengers. Sure thing. Created by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung. First appeared in Young Avengers number 1, 2005. Okay, yeah, so she's already a nearly 15-year-old character, but her characterization in this book is really picking up off the work that Kelly Thompson did in her solo series. The Kate Bishop solo series? Yeah. Okay. She is the Hawkeye of the Young Avengers. She is very tough, very smart, really knows what she's doing, but she's also fairly dependent on, on Clint Hawkeye for backup. She's not used to doing it alone, it seems like. Well, yeah, she's, again, she's very capable, but she's also, like, written in a very, like, humanized, relatable kind of way. Right. She's immensely capable, but has self-doubt. And that connects to sort of 
one of the main Kelly Thompson themes, at least across this and her Jessica Jones run, is the intersection of superheroes and real life, and the pressure that puts on people. Yeah. You see that to great effect in Nancy Drew, Mm -hmm. where Nancy is, like, almost pathologically compelled to try and, like, work the mystery and solve the case. But at the same time, like, she's recognizing the toll that it takes on her and her relationships. Right, yeah. Kate's kind of like, what the hell am I doing? And she's on the phone, basically saying she can't handle all this by herself. The Avengers need to assemble. But actually, there is no West Coast-based team to help her out. Right, so she calls Clint, she tells him to look at the news. I want to point this out, when he looks at the news, the crawl at the bottom of the screen is saying, everything is awful, somebody do something. (laughs) Yeah, and then a star-shaped teleport portal appears, and with a yoink, America Chavez grabs Clint and pulls him into the fray. That star portal is a really awesome effect. I also want to point out before we turn the page that this is the first appearance of the putty arrow, which explodes into a cloud of goop that entangles creatures, and every time it makes a thump sound, which is pretty great. Is it the first appearance of it? I mean, it's the first appearance in this comic book. Okay. So, back in Santa Monica, Kate is trying to corral the land shark, which destroys her favorite taco stand. Oh no! Which is what makes the situation serious. The stakes are high now. Yep. Clint and America Chavez burst onto the scene through another star portal. America Chavez made her first appearance in Vengeance Number 1 in 2011, created by Joe Carey and Nick Dragata. She is from another dimension, and she has super strength and these portals, and can fly. Yeah, she's pretty baller. There was a comic book before this that had her in it that I read, and I liked her, but I can't remember what comic book it was. Mm. I know that it wasn't her solo series. Okay. Because... I know that I didn't collect that one. Do you but... want to look it up real quick? or are you? Gonna... No, we'll just be honest. I don't know what comic book <laughs> I, I remember seeing her in. But uh, perhaps worth noting that she used to have a solo series. It was canceled. Now she's in West Coast Avengers. West Coast Avengers is kind of like collecting characters who had critically acclaimed but not great selling books. Okay. Uh, yeah. Kate Bishop, America Chavez, and the unbelievable Gwenpool. Right. Spoiler warning. Yeah. But this is where we get America having fun, punching sharks, and Kate not really having fun, commanding the team. She is the serious one here. Yeah, and we cut for a second here to a talking head where America is being interviewed in much the same way that Clint was a few minutes ago. And again, in much the same way, she's defending Kate's leadership. She'd do anything to save the day anything. To be honest, it's shocking she's still alive. Is that really an endorsement? You know I can kill you with a single punch, right? Okay, now Clint has figured out that the shark that he and Kate are stuck together on is the leader, and Kate points out if they turn it, they might be able to lead all the sharks back into the sea. Yeah, now Kate, it's worth pointing out here, is one step ahead of Clint. When he points this out, she already knows it. This is what she's been doing. Right. Do we know what they want? Well, they're sharks, so I'm going to go on a limb and say they want to eat stuff. Yeah, he also thinks that maybe they should tag them, but they don't have any tagging arrows, so that's off the table. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of rapid-fire banter between Clint and Kate, and it's generally pretty good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
It turns out there is another superhero who's on the scene, and that is Kate's new boyfriend, Fuse. Yep, this is where we get our introduction to Fuse. He turns into metal and punches through some shit, and then we get a talking head of him. Yeah, he's kind of like Absorbing Man. He can touch stuff and take on that material's properties. His real name is Johnny Watts, which I thought was super cheesy until I found out that he doesn't have electrical powers. <laughs> right, yeah. And Fuse made his first appearance in Hawkeye Volume 5, Number 2, in 2017, during Kate's solo run. Indeed. So once again, the people conducting these talking head interviews are grilling him, asking if he's qualified. And he kind of says that he has no choice but to help out because Kate is his girlfriend. Right, which he seems to realize is a bad reason to be a superhero. Yeah, I also want to point out that this kind of little bio that we get on him says that he's doing pretty fine. Like, he's doing an okay job. Being a superhero. Yeah. Right. Good work, Fuse. Yeah, okay, now Kate figures out that if she has reins, she can force the lead shark to turn. She shoots a grappling hook arrow into one fin, pointing out as she does that it doesn't have any nerve endings in there, so she's not actually hurting it. Then she does this amazing swing move over and under its mouth to catch this, I'm presuming, super tough fiber cord of some kind on her grappling hook arrow into its mouth, so she has reins to control the shark. This is the worst plan! I can't believe that actually worked, Clint says. I underestimated how scary it was going to be. Okay, they turn the shark. Clint jumps off to sort of stop some debris from hurting some folks. He has a little minute with Fuse here. Thanks, kid. You want some help down here? I'm not going to say no. So Fuse, huh? Kate said I needed a superhero name. We're trying it out. And now we realize that Kate is kind of steering this land shark into the ocean, which means that she's going to be in the ocean with a bunch of land sharks. Right, but that is quickly settled and basically off-panel, because America jets over and grabs her. Yeah. While the camera stays on Clint and Fuse. Do you want to talk a little bit about America's costume here? Okay, sure. So I just really like the way that it's kind of like street style. She seems to be in like bicycle shorts and sneakers with an American flag kind of styled top and jacket. Yeah, okay, so it looks like the kind of outfit she could have put together out of stuff she could buy. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks a little too awesome. Yeah, it looks a little (laughs) too awesome for that, but it is very much like a kind of street fashion-inspired costume, and it looks hella dope. Fuse, for what it's worth, is actually just wearing his civvies over his metal skin at this point. Right, yeah, he does not have a costume. Alright, we catch up with the team back at Hawkeye Investigations, the crisis being temporarily averted. I want to point out here that they are enjoying a post-victory pizza, and they have a pizza each. (laughs) So they really splurged on pizza. Or they couldn't agree on toppings, one of the two. Yeah, but yeah, there are four of them and there are four pizzas visible in this panel. That's the way to fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) If you just saved Santa Monica from land sharks, you deserve that shit. I mean, any day that you go without chewing out your grandparents in the Trump era, you deserve pizza. (laughs) 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 You don't just stop land sharks in Santa Monica, man. The threshold is lower than (laughs) that. All right. And here we see again the never-ending pressure of being a superhero. I could sleep for a week, Kate says. Except you can't, Katie. Those things are going to come back. They get to talking about how the West Coast is vulnerable, with no major superhero teams active here. And Clint says, the villains know it. I know. 
Kate says. You need a team. You do it. I don't live here. Now Kate says she's already called everyone she knows when she was dealing with the land shark situation. America jumps in. Did you call Novar? Kate protests that she's not calling her ex. Fuse asides to Hawkeye. What the hell kind of name is Novar? Kind of name where you better hope she doesn't call him, man. So Novar is Kid Marvel. Yeah. This is a little bit of foreshadowing, because Novar will indeed join the cast of this book a few issues down the line. Oh, okay. Novar was kind of loosely affiliated with the Young Avengers at one point, and he's he's Cree, and he was created by Grant Morrison and J.G. Jones. Okay, I remember him being kind of a big deal during Young Avengers Civil War, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so Kate is sufficiently convinced of the idea. She asks for her laptop, and she writes up a flyer. Attention! Superheroes needed for West Coast-based team. Experience preferred, but not required. Background check required, a.k.a. villains don't even try it. Call Hawkeye for an interview slash audition. And then there's little pull-off tabs. Yep. Doesn't say anything about pay. You are going to pay, right? I'm still working on that. That leads us to the evergreen superhero trope of tryouts. Yeah. They did this in Deadpool 2. Unlike its use in that film, Kelly Thompson has really gone out of her way here to make it funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was brutal. (laughs) It's a bad film. Yep, the first guy who tries out is named Bread and doesn't have any powers except that he's wearing a Bread costume. He did write himself a catchphrase, though. I'll butter your bread. Okay, I'm going to need you to go now. The next one to show up is named Diva, and she basically just wants to meet Hawkeye, meaning the other Hawkeye. Where's Hawkeye, the cute one? I'm Hawkeye. There's two. We're both cute. Well, when does he get here? Is he seeing anyone? I'm sure he's seeing many someones. And then there's Spider King. Not Spider-Man. No, that would be too easy. (laughs) Nope. Spider King, who appears to be a dude just covered in spiders. Kate is not having that. Yeah, no. Totally squicked out. Now I'm kind of curious. Like, there are so many spider people. There must be one that's West Coast based, right? I mean, I thought that Ben Riley used to be West Coast back when he decided to get out of Peter Parker's hair. But, yeah. I, uh, I, that was a long time it ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. That was before the Pride. We got a guy named The Broken Watch. Twice a day he's right. We get an appearance here of Kate's friends, Quinn, Ramon, and Mika. This is the first appearance of Ramon, who is going to be a bigger part of the series later. Not the first appearance, but, you know, the first appearance in this book. We've got a nine grid here with quick succession rejections of a bunch of super people, plus Kate's friends who are not super. The last one here I want to point out, his name is Wolvermine. He's got steak knives strapped to his hands. Not even good steak knives. You don't have to be mean about it. But he's mean. He's Wolvermine. Yeah. But I like that they're having a little fun with the assumption that Wolverine has to be on this team somehow. Yeah, and on the next page, we get Gwenpool. Right, okay. Gwenpool is Gwendolyn Poole. Her first appearance was in Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars number 2, designed by Chris Bacallo. In her first actual appearance, uh, she was written by Christopher Hastings, the author of Dr. McNinja, and Heather Antos and Jordan D. White, I believe. The idea with Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars, they had 20 variant covers for this issue, and this was right after the 
successful appearance of Ghost Spider, a.k.a. Spider-Gwen. So each variant cover depicted a different superhero transformed into Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Gwen as Deadpool took off, and that's the character we've got here. She is a teenage girl from our world, and her main power is that she's a big old nerd who's read all the comics. She knows everybody's superpowers and secret identities. Yeah. I really like the conceit that she's from our world, where all the Marvel heroes are comic book characters, and she knows about them from being just a huge fangirl. That Christopher Hastings comic book had been lately canceled when this book launched, so this is kind of Gwenpool's second shot. That comic book was really good, though. I was a big fan of her solo book. And it seems like Kate basically takes her here pretty much because she's tired of seeing applicants. Wait, what team? Are we heroes or villains? Gwen, we're heroes! Heroes, damn it! <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I can do that, no problem. I like that uh, Gwenpool's just kind of up for it. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so they seem to have a team, although one more is about to show up to round things out. Ah, uh, yeah, does he have to? <laughs> This is Quentin Quire. Now, Quentin Quire made his first appearance in New X-Men number 134 in 2002. Oh, yeah, created by Grant Morrison. Riot at Xavier's. Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. I've always thought that Frank Quitely was a pretty clever uh, pseudonym. Yeah, it's a good name. He was a villain, more or less, when he first appeared, although he was just a student at the Xavier School. He started the Riot at Xavier's. Yeah, he tried to do a genocide. Yeah, bad, bad kid. Yeah, he's a pretty bad person. I actually hate, hate that man. His powers are super intelligence and being a very, very powerful psychic. Although we're going to learn here that he has been recently depowered. He is a much less powerful psychic. It happened in the more recent Generation X comic book. Okay. So he shows up and immediately starts acting like an arrogant prick, and he has brought his camera crew with him. He is apparently filming a reality show. He convinced them he was on a team, even though he wasn't yet and has just shown up to join this one. Yeah, so he comes with funding, which causes Kate to say, you have my attention. Now, normally I can't stand Quentin Quire, but, you know, I, I liked Grant Morrison's portrayal of him because he was treated as a villain. Right. And I like the way that Kelly Thompson writes him because she writes him as an annoying prick. Right, know? everybody here is aware that he's obnoxious. Right, we're not supposed to think he's cool. Which is kind of the weakness of how he's sometimes written. Mm -hmm. Like, I think some writers can't resist his narcissistic personality. Like, they think... They sort of buy into him. Yeah, they think it makes him a baller. But Kelly Thompson sees through his bullshit. And thank God for that. So, what you're saying is you guys didn't want choir either. We wanted to film a team. He said he was on one. But he's been sitting in an apartment playing video games and eating Chinese takeout for three weeks. Not exactly what we had in mind. But the money that Quentin comes with is enough to fund the creation of a headquarters. Yeah, in theory, anyway. Yeah, in future. Kate's not comfortable with being filmed. And she's not comfortable with the fact that some of her fellow superheroes are not keeping up to the standard of respectability that she wants. They're acting like jackasses right behind me, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Kill me now. And Gwen and Quentin have gotten into a fight, and Gwen shoots some kind of miniature nuclear weapon at Quentin, because there's a mushroom cloud behind Kate in the film. <laughs> yeah, their antics end with a very small mushroom cloud. Later, Kate is complaining to Fuse, asking why it's so much harder than it used to be. Yeah, now Fuse says it's harder because she's not independently wealthy now, and that 
is a detail of the character. She used to be rich. Her father owns a company called Bishop Publishing, but she got cut off in the 2013 Hawkeye Annual. Yeah, now Fuse is a good boyfriend here. He assures her that she's doing a great job. And also, what's the big deal if they're on a reality TV show? 82% of Southern California is. Yeah, he's being a good supportive boyfriend here. Their nice moment is interrupted by Gwenpool further antagonizing Quentin. Right, we actually just hear him shouting, you absolutely useless Deadpool knockoff. Which is rich coming from him, seeing as he's an Emma Frost knockoff. (laughs) It transpires that Gwen, tired of him leaving his wet towels around, has filled his room with 200 wet towels. So this is like the standard cliche of difficulties living together turned up to 11. Wet and piled on the floor. Isn't that your favorite? I gave you your favorite to the max. (laughs) Uh, I love her. As much as I hate him, I love her. She's pretty great. Thankfully, there is an emergency. There's an incident in Santa Monica, and they gotta move out. America, do you mind? It's what I do. She says as she makes a star portal. They step through it, expecting to see widespread chaos. This is a very cool panel. The West Coast Avengers all cast in silhouette by the star portal behind them. Yeah, it's actually a whole cool page. Because they emerge from the portal... We get a panel of them looking around, and then we get a panel of them seeing what the emergency is. And we don't see it until we turn the page to find a 200-foot-tall Tigra. Oh, Jesus. Tigra made her first appearance in Claws of the Cat number 1 in 1972, created by Roy Thomas and Wally Wood. Something interesting, Patsy Hellcat Walker? Yeah? She actually, her first appearance as a superhero, she puts on one of Tigra's old costumes. Oh, yeah? Yep. Okay. Gwenpool wants to double-check her information here. Wait, Tigra? From the old West Coast Avengers? Was she always 200 feet tall? No, no. She definitely was not. Yeah, I feel like that would have been mentioned somewhere in the stats. Now, Quentin immediately has a solution. He can just telepathically knock her out. And then what? Does she ever come back from that? And that's if she doesn't drown in the ocean while she's out. I said non-lethal, acquire. Well, let me know when you change your mind. I'll just be here, ready with the solution. Is he British? I'd like to think so. I mean, his name is Choir. I guess. I think it might be established where he's from somewhere in New X-Men. But we don't need to look it up. You can do him as British if you want. Why not? (laughs) All right. (laughs) You make Lucian British, so... (laughs) Honestly, I don't put it past him to fake it, so... Yeah, that's right. No, I actually love that. (laughs) He just fakes a British accent. So, they all jump into action. Clint Barton says the thing that everybody's been thinking. Pipe down, choir. America flies Clint, who knows Tigra from being on the Avengers together, up to her head to try to talk her down. Tigra? Hey, honey. You in there? Clint, maybe don't call her honey. Now, yeah... Quentin is just kind of floating there, relaxing, waiting for the inevitable moment when they give him permission to swoop in and save the day, and pow! Tigra sends him flying. She said what? That I'm off my game? That's ridiculous. Listen, that Catwoman thing was way stronger than it should have been, and I was focused on protecting that powerless Git Hawkeye. I'm an X-Man. We don't let people with absolutely no powers just walk onto a team. It's absurd. Are you still an X-Man? If so, why are you here? This interview is over. So we get to see Gwenpool's cool cream puff setting on her gadget gun, which she uses to catch Choir. Um, Yeah, she shoots this big pink gumball around that balloons into putty on the wall and catches him. A nice soft catch. 
Right. And at this point in the Talking Heads, Gwenpool mentions something which I'm gathering came up in her solo series, that she used to work for MODOK. This was, like, the most fun arc in her solo series, was where she was a henchman of MODOK. MODOK is, of course, the mental organism designed only for killing. Only for killing! But she concludes, working with MODOK was at least better than working with Quentin. Tigra sends Clint Barton flying through the air. She sends America flying through the air, too, but that's okay, because America can fly. Sure. But Clint is flying through the air, he doesn't like it, but then she catches him and he says, and that's even worse, I think. Right, looks like Clint is about to get crushed, so America finally takes the gloves off, so to speak, and punches Tiger in the face. Yeah, she, like, Superman flies into her cheek with a boom! And this is an awesome part. Tigra throws the boat that she has been waving at them. Gonna be tricky, America says. I'm sort of calling attention to the next few panels, as she's gonna have to handle this in a cool way. She star portals in front of the boat and punches it to a standstill. Yeah, really dope action part on this page. Clint gets thrown. Kate saves him with a foomp arrow. Yeah, that's that putty arrow again. I called it the orange puff, because <laughs> we got the cream puff before. <laughs> the cheesy puffs? I thought of it more as like a, you know, a citrusy flavor. Oh, all right, sure. Sort of like orange trident. All right, yeah. Trident. Trident. What? Gum. Because it's good for your tea. Yeah. And I... made beneath the sea, I would gather. Yeah. I was about to do, like, two seconds of that song from The Little Mermaid, but we'd be sued into oblivion. <laughs> we can't fuck with Disney that way. <laughs> well, you know, our audience loves to hear me sing. We gotta give the people what they want. <laughs> do you remember that bit on 30 Rock, where Jenna, Jane Krakowski's character, mm-hmm. was like, she was asked to sing, and she was like, oh no, I couldn't possibly... <laughs> she like does like two seconds of fake protest and then like immediately breaks in the song. Well, that's Jenna. <laughs> okay, so with Giant Tigra getting close to shore, they decide it's last resort time, and Kate orders Quentin to knock her out. Yeah, I don't see a way to stop her that won't potentially hurt her, or maybe worse. But Clint says, if she makes it beyond this beach in her current state, the destruction she's going to cause will be massive. If it really is Tigra in there, she wouldn't want that. And then this jackhole steps up. Before you get to last resorts, perhaps I can be of assistance. There is this shirtless dude in his leather pants with his amazing abs, and his head is unbelievably large. And he's like 12 feet tall, and he comes in, he manages to get behind Kate without anybody noticing, and sweeps her off her feet with a sweep sound effect, and kisses her unasked for. I am Brodoc, bio-robotic organism designed overwhelmingly for kissing. Oh and god. Brodoc will save you all! <laughs> yeah, and, and Gwen puts her finger on it. What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> next! Oh no, Doc! <laughs> now, before we get into the next issue, do you have the Kate Bishop files here? No, they're not in the, uh. In the print issues. In okay. The original single issues. The trade has a quick blurb on each of the heroes' Kate's personal thoughts. The one that I want to mention here. Her assessment of why Quentin is still on the team. I'm also not sure he'd go away if I told him to. (laughs) It's funny because you're always talking about Xavier files. And we got some Bishop files. I meant to call them the Xavier files, I just forgot. Well, that's that's why I'm here. I'm here to pick up the slack for you, buddy. (laughs) That's not the most flattering way you could have put that. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm picking up your rebounds, man. That brings us to West Coast Avengers number two. 
Yeah, this is a great cover. We got the gigantic Tigra holding Hawkeye in her clutch, Clint Barton Hawkeye. This is a moment that actually happened in the previous issue, but mm-hmm. it's a sweet-looking cover, so I don't fault them for that. Yeah, and we know right away what we're up against, Giant Tigra. Have we mentioned yet that she has a cat icon on her top? No, she's got don't. a She's got a cat face on her top. We have not mentioned it, but it is true. Like, just in case you couldn't see that she was a cat woman. If we're going to talk about the costume then we might have to do a little bit of research for the show notes on whether or not this is the first appearance of this particular Tigra costume. Okay. So that's a thing that you've made us do now. (laughs) Okay, we pick up seconds later, it seems like, as Kate and Clint are shooting putty arrows at Tigra. Yeah, they're standing side by side taking aim here. It's a really cool panel. And they're talking about how Brodok said he was going to save the day, but they don't trust him. They're going to keep doing what they're doing, and besides, it seems like he hasn't done anything yet. It seems like he's just standing there. The putty arrows take forever to get out of clothes, Clint says. Fur has got to be a thousand times worse. This is what I'm saying. Sure enough, Gwenpool comments, she hated that. Yeah, the giant tiger rampage continues. Clinton is saving a couple of guys using telekinesis. This is where the narration mentions that he has been recently depowered, or powered down. Woo! Giant cat strength is no joke! Gwenpool comments. The most effective of the West Coast Avengers so far has got to be America Chavez. America gets another good punch in on Tigra. Sorry, Chica, but I need you to cool the hell down. Yeah, this is the second full-strength punch that we've seen America deliver to Tigra. This one with a kapow! Yeah, seems like the only one who's really slowing giant Tigra down. And then gets in a diving save as she saves Fuse from falling into the ocean. The narration box informs us that Fuse is in way over his head. Quentin is attempting the last resort, but it turns out that Tigra's got psychic blocks. Yeah, his fucking bullshit superiority. Turns out he didn't have the solution waiting after all. Brodok finally takes charge. He flies up to talk to Tigra. Does he have rocket boot feet? Cool. So we're agreed that's definitely Modok in disguise, right? Oh, 100%. Totally. Definitely. Fuse adds, I don't know who MODOK is, but sure. But he doesn't realize we know it's him, right? Definitely not, America says. Kate asks if Quentin can read Brodok's mind. No, he's got mental blocks in place too, and they feel suspiciously similar to Tigra's. Brodok has successfully made Tigra go away. Right, he just flies up to her and talks to her, I guess, and she turns around and walks back into the ocean. As he's returning to the team... Follow my lead, guys. He wants to be friends? Fine. We're friends. Friends that are casually pumping him for information to figure out his plan. Gwen adds, I love that he still sort of made his head big. I wrote down in my notes, big head confirmed, because... Right, because at first, it's not as big as, like, Modok, who is just a head. So at first it was like, is this head unusually large? Right, is the art weird here? But yeah, we, we actually get writing that confirms that the abnormally large head is on purpose, which is awesome. So they invite Brodok to hang at their place. He says, I would be honored. And Kate says, in a talking head, Listen, it wasn't the worst idea I've ever had. Yeah, okay, yeah, I heard it that time. So we get back to West Coast Avengers headquarters, which is kind of a dump. Oh, and as they arrive back at the headquarters, we get Lucky. Okay, what's Also up? known as Pizza Dog. He is the dog that Hawkeye saves from a certain death. 
in the first issue of the Matt Fraction run. Oh, okay. This is this is Clint's dog. Yeah. Okay. I completely missed this dog the first time around. Silly me. So they're chatting with Brodock. Ask him what he's doing in L.A. May I have a beverage as I tell you my riveting tale? I find myself rather parched. Uh, sure, Johnny. Would you mind getting our guest something to drink? We have... Any fine peanut will do, my good man. There's a um, funny little nonverbal moment here as Fuse gestures to their mostly empty cabinets. And Kate shrugs. So Brodock is explaining that he is starting up his latest venture, Advanced Image Mechanics. Right, okay, so... This is a version of AIM. AIM is Advanced Idea Mechanics. They're an evil science company. Yeah. But Advanced Image Mechanics is, I guess, like, them but an image consultant? Yeah, pretty much. It, well, it's, again, like, Brodock has given himself and his company names that are suspiciously similar to supervillain things. True. I think AIM wasn't evil for a while. Because Peter Parker bought them. Yeah, I think for a while, and, and this was probably still going on, the CEO of AIM was actually Bobby DaCosta. Oh, uh, Sunspot. Sunspot. From the right. New Mutants. And the Fallen Angels. Yeah. And the Extreme X-Men. They basically used an infusion of cash to make AIM be good guys for a little while. Yeah. But seeing as Peter Parker's now broke again, and mm. Parker Industries isn't a thing anymore, they're probably evil again. Brodock takes his drink. Delicious! What's it called? Um, tap water. Tap water! A magnificent vintage! I'll have to buy myself a case. So we get a two-page spread here of Brodock's history slash master plan. Yeah, and as he's telling it, there are little, like, post-it notes attached that dispute his version of the tale. So he came out here to found an AIM branch, but also to find true love. I opened Advanced Image Mechanics with the hope that I could help others realize their most perfect selves. So he's doing work as an image doctor. He's got patience. He talks about his unsuccessful dating life, and the post-it notes make it clear that he doesn't have any dates. These are women who come to see him as an image doctor. <laughs> right. But he claims that he was on a date, which actually wasn't a date when he saw that they were in trouble fighting Tigra and realized that he could do something even better with his life. And so, with you as my latest and greatest inspiration, I became, this day, a true American hero. The post-it note says, Not how it happened at all. On the next page, Quentin Quire is wearing a t-shirt that says, I devamped Jubilee and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. I like that one. Jubilee was a vampire for over ten years in real time, I think. That got fixed in the recent Generation X series. Oh, okay. Also in the Gen X series. Nobody is really buying Brodock's story, except for Gwen, who is loving it. They excuse themselves for a little team conference. Of course. Carry on. Who am I to stand in the way of team unity? Clint says, we need to raid that AIM facility now to see if they can find where Tigra has gone, and if there's any way to reverse what's been done to her. All right, two teams. One to raid the lab, and one to stay here and keep Brodock entertained in case that doesn't work out. I volunteer, I volunteer for, for the raid, raid, says everyone at once. Except for Gwenpool, who loves Brodock's stories and actually wants to hang out with him. What? I find him hilarious. I can't help it. It's like a train wreck I can't look away from. The head, the abs, the leather pants, it's all amazing. Anyway, Kate rejects their entreaties. She and Clint are going to do the raid, and everybody else has to stay here babysitting Brodock. The best reaction to this is America's. I was your best friend, Kate. Best friend. And you still are. I'm putting all the heavy hitters here on Brodak Watch America because it's too dangerous not to. 
And you're here specifically to make sure nothing goes wrong. And also possibly babysit Quentin and Gwen. I hate you, and we'll be thinking of all the ways to murder you when you return. That's the spirit. So, Hawkeye and Hawkeye are on their way out. They give an excuse that they're going out for pizza, but Brodak is like... Presumably one pizza for each person. Right, yeah, that's that's how the fuck they roll on Presum- the West Coast. Presumably Brodak will get his own pizza when Cal- his pizza arrives. California knows how to party. <laughs> In their costumes? With their weapons? America says... They're Hawkeyes. They do everything in costume with weapons. Otherwise, they're as vulnerable as turtles without shells. Ouch. I will take my vengeance any way I can, Johnny. They let Brodock pick the movie, which turns out to be a mistake. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's 2, which he refers to as Weekend at Bernie's the second. <laughs> yeah, and thinking of revenge plans here, America mentions dumping Kate in the dimension that's only shrimp. That is a reference to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Cut. I think the dimension that was only shrimp was also mentioned on Angel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's right. Anya brought it up as a hypothetical, but it got called back a couple of times after that. It became yeah. a little bit of a runner. Okay, the Hawkeyes are breaking into AIM. Kate points out that this feels like a MODOK thing, because he has a history of experimenting on women. Right. They have a nice little moment here where Kate asks if running the team is going well. Clint, am I screwing up? No, you look fine. Not this dummy. The team. This whole team thing. Am I screwing it up? What? No, Kate. You're so good. Come on, be honest. This is not going well so far. It's early days, Katie. Those are always tough. I could tell you some stories. I welcome all stories of your failure. And it's now that they find a gigantic gun, a gigantic science gun, (laughs) pointed at a medical bed. (laughs) And Clint says, might as well have supervillain ink printed on it. They find some file cabinets. Yeah, Clint uses a tiny baby little bomb arrow to to blow them up. Yeah, I'm showing off a little bit. Or to blow up the lock, I should say. That's right, he doesn't blow up the files. They seal the files. Where'd all the files go? They can't read the files because they're written in code. They do find pictures of the women who were experimented on as well as their tattoos. Yeah, we get a cute little lampshade hanging on Kate's hip holes. Right, okay, so Kate wants to take some of the files with. I'm taking some of these, but you've got to carry them, she says. Why me? There's no room in this costume, and even if there were, things would fall out the hip holes. So that's why you have those. So I can't stuff patient files in my costume? Absolutely. Yeah, Kate's got little holes in her costume on the hip and shoulder, showing just a little bit of skin for no reason. Back at the under-construction headquarters, Gwenpool and Quentin are having another Donnybrook. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I kind of want to read the whole thing. But I do like this line. As Quentin has said, what? And Gwen starts to repeat herself, I heard you. It was an incredulous what, not natural question. And with that, they start to make out. Yeah, America asides to Brodock. They hate each other. And Brodock says, or do they? And they're, sure enough, on the next page, <laughs> they're kissing. They're really I, getting into it. I have seen Quentin Coyer making out with someone. That's my reality now. I can never go back, says America. Fuse complains that the image is burned onto his retinas. The Hawkeyes are back, although America's out. I have to go punch some inanimate objects for a while. Very large objects. Kate can't stand that America is mad at her, but Clint says that it's the price of leadership. They invite Brodock to stay the night. Yeah, he asks why there's no pizza, and Kate says they were out, which (laughs) seems to convince him. Yeah, they're using very lame excuses, and it's working. He's very credulous. He also mentions that that tap water has gone right to his head. (laughs) 
Clint has the first watch. He doesn't believe anybody's actually going to take over from him on the first watch. Is that what he means by spell me? I think so. I've never heard that expression before, but... Okay. But it seems like somebody did take over, although they're not doing a great job here. We cut to the very, very a.m. where we find Quentin asleep. Yeah. Brodak sneaks past him, opens up the drawer. Listen, there's not a lock on a door or a drawer that works in this whole place right now, thanks to you guys turning it into a film set. You want the truth? I blame you for him finding those files. That's right. I said it. How do you feel now? Feels pretty bad, right? <laughs> Clint is deflecting blame. Brodok finds the stolen aim files and feels super betrayed by it. And then he does get help, by which I mean he puts his hand to his head and his eyes go all swirly, which means that he is telepathically calling for help. Yeah. He exclaims that he's been betrayed for the last time, which means that he feels wrongly that he was betrayed before this. And on our last page, we get a full-page spread of Tigra and several other giants marching towards the city. Ooh. Oh, and here we get the Kate Bishop files. Oh, okay. They're at the end of the second issue of the floppies. Okay, so that brings us to West Coast Avengers number three. We've got a great cover here. Another really good cover. This one is Kate strapped in front of the supervillain gun. Yeah, all of the West Coast Avengers look kind of defiant, except for Gwenpool, who looks worried. Well, uh, Hawkeye's making a great what-the-fuck face. <laughs> he looks so mad. Okay, so we open up on Kate and Fuse in bed when Tigra rips the roof off the building. This party's going off. Tigra grabs Kate and carries her away. Damn it, Brodak knows we're playing him. Tigra, be reasonable. I don't suppose you'd like to grab a coffee and talk this out? Or maybe a large, rare steak of some kind? Yeah, and Fuse turns himself into some kind of very tough metal. At first I was like, what's he touching that he can turn himself into metal? But he actually explains it. His piercings are made of vibranium so that he can always turn himself into something tough. That's pretty clever. Yep. Choir, did you fall asleep? I refuse to answer that on the grounds that the answer is yes. At this point, America says that they've got bigger problems. I hope when you say bigger, you mean more serious, America, and not literally bigger. How do you feel about both? Two-page spread here of Modok Mwahahaing as his giant ladies, his mutant giant ladies cause destruction everywhere. Yeah, there are, I think, six of these giant ladies. There's a wasp lady, a fish lady. There's at least one dragon. I want to point out that on this page, as they're talking about what to do, Quentin Quire is wearing a t-shirt that says Future Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Quentin has always been famous for his t-shirts. He used to have one that says Magneto was right. Right, the original t-shirt. Clint says, there's no chance this is a dream, right? You have a lot of dreams about giant monster women, Hawkeye? I refuse to answer that on the grounds that the answer is yes. But it's time to stop goofing around and have a plan. It is plan time. Yeah. Hawkeye tells Quentin to shut Tigra down. He explains that their previous hesitation is no longer in play because Tigra wouldn't want this to happen. The chaos that's going on, so they can no longer afford kid gloves. Right. So Quentin handles Tigra, America's going to fight the dragon, and that leaves four giant ladies for Clint and Gwenpool. Yeah, Gwenpool's a little incredulous that they can handle that much. Uh, there's so many good lines here, I'm having a hard time not just reading all of them. On the next page, Quentin flies up and manages to knock out Tigra with his psychic powers. Yep, she goes down. And we can see 
on the next page that her hand apparently lands right inside the rubble of Kate's bedroom as she is able to go in and get her costume. There's an interesting moment here as the talking head asks Fuse, so how'd you come by the vibranium? He refuses to answer. Yeah, and he and Kate have a nice couple moment here. Mm -hmm. Where she tells him to be careful. He says, of course he's going to be careful because he's terrified. She tells him he's hiding it well, and he says she's a terrible liar. I really like the way that their relationship is written. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like normally in this circumstance, the fact that she's, like, very experienced and he's, like, not particularly good at this whole superhero thing, Mm -hmm. it would normally be written as, like, a cause of a ton of tension and resentment between the two of them. Yeah. But they're actually just still, like, a good loving couple, despite what their dynamics are on the team. Yeah, it works. Okay, so this is where Kate puts it together. As she starts aiming arrows at the giant women, she realizes that they have the tattoos from the files, that they are all the women that Brodok captured and experimented on. They're all innocents, and they can't be killed. Right, meaning we can't kill them, not that they can't be killed. Oh, sure, they're not indestructible. That's the problem. Right. They're just innocent women, unfortunate enough to have met Brodok. We can't hurt them. Well, so far there's not much concern on that front. We're getting hammered. So Kate decides she has to shut all this down at the source and calls for America. Yeah, and we get a cool part where America says, Just one second! As she uh, hammers the dragon, knocks it out, and then is on her way. She's so cool. Okay, so Kate has America teleport her to AIM. She could use some backup, but they don't have the people to spare. So she's going along. Now, Gwenpool is on top of Brodok trying to pry his head off. He explains that that's pointless because it's not as if his old head is under it. Well, and furthermore, if she did get his mask off, so to speak, he would just be Modok and still evil. Right, yeah. Wouldn't do any good. So she's thrown off and she's plummeting towards the ground here. And this is when we get a bit of good background on her powers. This would be a great time for that thing where I can, like, leap through the panels and jump to other parts of the comic book to kick in. And yet, I notice it's not happening. But falls never kill me. It's one of the best things about being me. Except I'm beginning to suspect I've been rebooted. Quentin telekinetically catches her just before she splats on the ground. Stop messing around. We're so overwhelmed I almost didn't see you. Use your damn powers! Yeah, I don't have powers. Uh, Sure you do. Some kind of reality manipulation, right? Nope. What what do you mean? I've seen you. Are you joking? Nope. Thanks for the save. In a talking head, Quentin is concerned. Yeah, in fact, the interviewer says, you seem concerned. But this is really interesting, and this is probably the biggest character development moment for Quentin in the entire arc. That for a minute here, it seems like he's genuinely concerned about another person, or perhaps just concerned that he might be starting to have feelings for somebody who's not omnipotent. But either way, interesting. Quentin, are you all right? But I don't know. This next page is devoted to a fastball special between America and Fuse. Yeah, with America hurling the vibranium form Fuse at the giant monster's chest. It is awesome. Yeah, really great action. Good illustration here. So, back at AIM, Kate is cornered by Brodok, who says a bunch of uh, MRA-type shit. Yeah, some entitled shit. I moved to the coast, I added programming for love, I gave myself this handsome human shape and a shiny new name. Didn't matter. Still nobody loved me. Kate points out the flaw in his logic here, that the women who rejected him 
weren't shallow, he's actually really handsome. He's just still a jerk on the inside. Huh, never thought about it like that before. You may well have a point. Oh well, he says, and zaps her with a stun gun. The other West Coast Avengers immediately know she's unconscious, because Quentin has lost telepathic contact with her. Right, so America and Clint jump through a star portal to back up Kate. Try not to die, choir, Hawkeye says as he disappears. Yeah, on the next page we find, as on the cover, Kate strapped to the table. The science gun is pointed at her. Burdock pulls the trigger, and she is transformed. Yeah, she's transformed into something we don't see fully what yet. On the next page, Tigra comes to. Right, and she is now free of the brainwashing. She's still giant, but she's herself. Yeah, still giant and pissed at Quentin Choir, because who wouldn't be? The urge to disembowel you is still pretty strong. Yeah, but Quentin says that as a consolation prize, uh, she can ruin Modok's Brodox plan. Right, and so on the next page we get some cool giant fighting as Tigra wrangles the giant women. Yep, another good action page here. Uh, there's also a, a bit of a running gag here, as it's been previously mentioned, that Brodok started his attack at like 5 a.m., so there's no one around. And now joggers are starting to show up. Yeah, one of them is wearing a Spider-Man hoodie, but it looks like he has a Spider-Man costume on under it. Maybe it's Ben Riley. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only conclusion we can come to. Quentin informs Clint and America telepathically that the odds are more in their favor now because Tigra has come to her senses. But Hawkeye says, I'm afraid that's not quite true. Right, and so as we turn to the final page, we get our first look at Kate's new form. Look on my newest creation in Marvel. Huh, Marvel. She is the great and mighty Kate Hawk. And Kate says, Scree! Which is just great. That's the best monster noise. Every time you should scream. On the cover of West Coast Avengers number four, we got a headline that says, Are these the new West Coast Avengers? <laughs> yeah, and the picture shows a sort of sea-tattered team. America's shoe is falling apart. Yeah, Kate's covered in seaweed. Fuse's costume is destroyed to the point where he's having to conceal himself with his hands. Yeah, and Pizza Dog is seen once again. On the cover this time. Oh yeah, there he is. Supers in Santa Monica? Say it ain't so. So, on Venice Beach, Fuse is trying to talk down one of the giants when suddenly a giant arrow comes crashing down from the sky. I love this. This is so much sillier than if giant Hawkeye fought them with her, you know, giant hands and feet. She's got giant arrows that she's shooting. I just want to point out here, the next page, we get another full-page spread, and it's of giant Kate Bishop with the team kind of flying at her. Hawkeye is shooting arrows at Brodock, and he has a good line here. He says, Your arrows are dumb, man, Hawkeye. All right. <laughs> I like that he calls him Man Hawkeye. He's always very specific about which Hawkeye he's talking to. Okay, America knocks down Kate Hawk, but she and Clint are in over their heads with Brodock, who has very powerful psychic powers. You're both going to be KO'd in no time unless you're tagging a psychic right now. America opens a portal for Choir to come through. Right, and he immediately starts countering Brodock's psychic powers, although he used to be a lot more powerful. Now they're basically evenly matched. I could have eaten you for breakfast a few months ago. This is so frustrating. Yeah, once again, Quentin Choir voluntarily gave up his, some of his power to save the day at the end of the Generation X series. Mm -hmm. So Quentin is doing the thing where he points his fingers like a gun and shoots psychic blasts. Meanwhile, while he's distracting Brodock, 
Clint goes searching for the reverse ray. Yeah, Brodok is trying to convince Quentin to join him and be bros. Oh, right, rule the galaxy as father and son. Right. Quentin says it's a persuasive argument, but he's not buying it. Clint finds a ray that says Aversa, which means back. He doesn't know that, but Quentin does, so he steals the ray. Man, these villains really can't help themselves, can they? They're their own worst enemies, every time. Okay, Clint wheels out the ray, and just as Quentin stuns Brodok, Clint fires the ray and reverts him to Modok. No, no, what have you done? What have you stupid meddling kids plus Clint Barton Hawkeye done? I was going to show them all! Kate Hawk, still giant, backhands him into a building. Yep, there's a smack sound effect and he crashes into the AIM building. Oh, it's his own building. That's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. So there's no uh, collateral damage to anything that matters. Yeah, she seems to be free of the mind control, and she heaves him into low Earth orbit. Yep, with Brodok out of the way, Quentin can use the psychic powers to revert the monster women back into themselves. Now we cut to, this is kind of the first full appearance of Ramon Watts. Like I said before, she appeared in one panel of an earlier issue. Mm-hmm. I mean her first full appearance in this series. But yeah, here she is helping get some civilians to safety and evacuate a building. Fuse shows up and tells her to get herself the hell out of danger, but she's not having it. She's going to do her best to help people. Because that's who she is. Right, it is very much worth mentioning that Ramon is both Kate's best friend and Fuse's sister. Yeah, and they have a bit of sibling familiarity here, which makes their conversation fun. Yeah, she is evacuating people. He wants her to get out of danger. She's not having any of that. In a talking head, Ramon says, I'm just, I'm so proud of him. It's so dumb, I can't even look at him. I just swell with big stupid pride at what he's doing. Don't. Don't tell him I said that, okay? Okay. You're totally going to, aren't you? Yeah, probably. You're the worst. We know. Right, okay, so Kate Hawk carries the cannon over to where the giant monster women are, and then we get a two-page spread of just a bunch of fights with the giant monster women. Yeah, a little action montage. Clint announces his intention to zap them all back to normal one by one. So Kate goes one-on-one with the wasp woman. Gwenpool's fighting the dragon. One of the giants falls into a building, and I guess it's the building that has Ramon in it. She's with Lucky, and she announces that they are probably both about to die. Just then, America catches the roof. Hi. Hi. America, right? Yeah. You okay? Cut to a talking head. So, you and Ramon, huh? I bet nobody would even miss you if you disappeared. But the interviewers are not wrong. There does seem to be some sparks flying here. No, I like this a lot because the rescue romance thing is such a trope in superhero comics. And I don't mind that they're doing it, but it's fun that they sort of immediately lampshade and mock that they're doing it. Right. Kate sees America with her arm around Ramon. What is all of this? What? I was just helping her. Really? Well, maybe not just. Kate now in human form, by the way. And so are all the other women who he transformed into giants. uh, Except for one. Well, yeah, but four of them at least are back in human form and talking about forming a support group or a revenge squad. (laughs) Right. Or just team up to destroy Brodok. Send me your contact info. Tigra says, Clint, you beautiful idiot. Thank you. And gives him a big hug. Right. Clint gets a thank you hug from Tigra. 
who is now going to hunt down Brodok slash Modok herself. He asks her, Say, any chance you'd join up with us? I could really use another adult on this team, if only so I can understand someone else's pop culture references. <laughs> Clint, darling, not for anything. Meanwhile, Quentin is trying to turn the last of the women back into human form, but Gwenpool won't let him. Over my dead body, choir, she wants to stay a dragon. She says it's awesome and she loves it. Who are we to force her back? Kate steps in, asks the dragon, Is this what you want? Yes, it's awesome. Are you going to wreck stuff and eat people or pets and generally make my life miserable? No, I'm a vegetarian. Well, okay then. So with the crisis averted, we're going to wrap up with a few short scenes. Gwen and Quentin, being interviewed, are asked if they're a couple. They protest that no, they hate each other, but then fly into each other's arms and knock over the chair, making out. Yeah, Fuse is having a bit of a good day. He survived his first superhero battle and did a pretty good job. What do you think about America and your sister Ramon dating? What? And then we get the interview with Kate. Yeah, she doesn't really want to talk about what it was like being a giant hawk monster. And then the interview is interrupted by a ringtone. Well, yeah, she gets a call from Captain America, and we learn that her ringtone for Captain America is Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Is that thematically appropriate? Not really. <laughs> okay. I mean, Born in the USA is about a guy who gets sent to fight in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and it kind of ruins his life. Right. Whereas Captain America, you know, wanted to fight for his country. Okay, so it's a pretty shallow assignment of a ringtone. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, she's going to take that call, because that's not a call you can send to voicemail, right? (laughs) Probably not. What are you so worried about? Your team saved the day against some very tough stuff. What am I worried about? Hmm, let's see. I didn't ask him before sort of accidentally reforming the West Coast Avengers. I didn't warn him that I was using reality TV money to do it, and the last time superheroes did that, it ended very badly. She's talking about the Civil War, which was triggered by the New Warriors uh, accidentally setting off Nitro on their reality TV show. Yes, indeed. That's the Marvel superhero Civil War, not the U.S. Civil War. Right. Yeah. Which Captain America didn't fight in. No. There should totally be a comic book about Captain America, like, getting some kind of steampunk super soldier serum and then saving the Union. (laughs) (laughs) They should just do it, because it would be cool. (laughs) Man, I'd read that book. And I definitely didn't tell him we were going on a late-night talk show. Later, on Jimmy Kimmel Live... Two Hawkeyes. I bet that's a bit confusing, isn't it? Yes, says everybody except the Hawkeyes. So, Kate, is it official? Does L.A. finally have a high-profile team again? Are the West Coast Avengers really back? Um, yes? Well, maybe not the most confident response, but we'll take it. You heard it here first, folks. The West Coast Avengers are back in business. On the final page, we have several reactions to that news. Some from people who didn't make the team. Uh, One from a cameo from Satana, the devil's daughter. That is not really... I mean, I guess you could call it a cameo, but it's not a joke pop-in. Satana really does show up in a later issue. Oh, okay. As a villain. And the last one is from Madame Mask. She watches Jimmy Kimmel, where he says the West Coast Avengers are back in business, and she mutters, Not on my watch, they're not. And a mysterious figure is there in the room with her. Oh, yeah. So that is the next big threat, I assume, is Madame Mask. The new West Coast Masters of Evil. The West Coast Masters of Evil? Yep. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Okay, so that was pretty terrific comics, right? Yeah. 
That was amazing comic books. We've got a weird eclectic mix of characters here, some of whom are kind of joke characters, like Gwenpool, uh, some of whom are basically established Avengers, like the Hawkeyes. Yeah, like I said, this book does a really good job of rounding up a bunch of characters who used to have a solo book and it got cancelled. And, like, kind of just, like, keeping them all chugging along. And they're all being written really well here, so, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't complain. Yeah, they have fun dynamics with each other. We don't know much about Fuse yet, but I like that he and Kate have seemingly a really caring, supportive relationship with each other. Yeah. Gwenpool and Quentin are both kind of Havoc personified, but they actually keep each other under control a little bit. If only by exasperating each other more than anybody else. Yeah, exactly. America's badass in every respect. Yeah, she's totally great. And in my opinion, she's being written much better here than she was previously. Same goes for Quentin Quire. Yeah, Um, I'm generally not a big Quentin fan, but he works for this series. I can't stand him. And one of the things that bothered me the most about Generation X was that he was just kind of allowed to run roughshod over all the other characters. He's... A tremendous narcissist and asshole, but nonetheless, they gave him the right ball all the time in that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but partially because everybody here recognizes that he's a dick, and partially because he's toned down to be on, you know, team superhero power level, he works a lot better than I've seen him here. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got some of the recurring themes that show up in Kelly Thompson stuff. The intersection of superheroes in real life particularly in the pressure that puts on superheroes. Real-life relationships. Yeah, exactly. We see that both Kate and, at the ending a little bit, Fuse, too, are under a lot of stress from the fact that, you know, there's never going to be peace and quiet. The superhero life is always going to be more chaos, more mounting threats. Yep. There's also a fair amount of self-awareness to the superhero genre itself. Yeah, the blend of good action-adventure stories and comedy in this book is, like, right on. It's the perfect mix. I am not familiar with Stefano Caselli, mm-hmm. but this art is really good, really dynamic. The action scenes, well, the characters just tend to look baller, and the action scenes are really well done. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, so are like the facial expressions for the comedy stuff. So really cool. Yeah, love the giant monsters, love the physical comedy of the Quentin Gwenpool makeouts. Yeah. And the Uh, physical comedy of Kate Bishop being transformed into a giant monster. Yeah, yeah, and America punching giant monsters and chucking fuse at giant monsters. It's all sweet stuff. It's all awesome. Yep. Yeah, I've been subscribed to this book. I pre-ordered the first issue. I've been subscribed to it since before it launched. Very proud to say that. (laughs) Anything else? I just want to say... Oh! That sound means it's time for a segment I like to call Frank Discussions, where I blindside Sean with a Punisher comic book. Oh my god. (laughs) This week, Sean is going to be reading Welcome Back, Frank, Issue 1, the first issue of Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon's run with the Punisher character. Oh my god, this episode is so wrong already. (laughs) Okay, this is Punisher, the 2000 series, number one. Welcome back, Frank. And before we get started, like, I have heard about this story, but where was Frank? Um, 
It just seems like he's been out of New York City, not not capping fools in New York City for a while. He must have been capping fools somewhere else. Out of the game a bit. Well, I mean, maybe he was just doing it somewhere else. Like, maybe he was in, you know, Shadow Law. Madripoor. <laughs> that was probably in Shadow Law. <laughs> okay, so he was his series has just come back, and he has just come back to New York. Right. Okay, although it's not the most welcoming environment. Unless you're the Punisher. He thrives on this shit. Yeah, okay, so we open on Punisher holding a gun to this guy's throat saying, get a haircut. And... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Just getting right to the... <laughs> right to the social commentary. Right, and then this dude, now alone and surrounded by bodies, explains that he came to this drug house to buy some drugs. The Punishers showed up and, and massacred everybody in the place, but... He told the Punisher he was just here to buy, not part of the drug-selling gang, and therefore he was allowed to live, provided he cleaned his life up. He gets one more chance. He then explains to his friend Mike on the phone that that means he is now sitting on enough product to set them up for the rest of their lives. And that's when the Punisher comes back out of the shadows behind him. I have to go now, Mike. And grabs him by the head. Yep, head grab. Not the head bite. No, it's not the head bite. So Punisher two burns, Street Fighter references in two minutes. Burns down the building. Punisher brings in the building. <laughs> and one office space. Yeah. We see Punisher go home. We meet very, very briefly his neighbors, Spacker Dave and Mr. Bumpo. And this is where Punisher narrates sort of the mission statement of the Max series. This is the Max series, right? This is the Knight series. The Max series didn't exist yet. This was under the Marvel Knights imprint. Okay, but he's sort of setting up the mission statement of the Knights series, which is solo act again, no micro, no gimmicks, no fancy ammo, no battle vans, no high-tech surveillance. Just the basics. We see a close-up on a submachine gun as he says that. We find a guy named Nucci, who is visiting his brother, who the Punisher killed in the drug house in the morgue. Punisher shows up at the morgue. <laughs> that's ballsy yeah I mean it's it's lethally efficient he knew that they would come in to see the body at some point so he stuffs this morgue attendant into a locker which is kind of mean this guy is a little corrupt in that he took a bribe to let a crime boss see the body but he's not a bad guy but at least Frank doesn't blow his head off I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's not shooting jaywalkers just yet he walks into the morgue he starts killing guys this is kind of comically over the top as there's a gunfight in the morgue where at one point both Punisher and one of the bad guys have picked up dead bodies to hold in front of themselves as human shields. I have no comment on that except to say, heh, human shields. It's it's over the top. Not in the usual sense of human shields, but... Yeah. Yeah. Literal shields. Gunfight in the morgue, rule number one. Don't hide behind the thin guy. Punisher says as he shoots a bad guy through a corpse. Okay, so now Punisher gives us a little narration as to what the hell he is doing in this story, which is, as a message to all the scum in New York City, he is wiping out the Nucci crime family, beginning with the three brothers who kind of lead it. So he killed Sticky Eddie in the drug house, he killed Bobby in the morgue, and the remaining one is Carlo, Ma Nucci's number one son, who he follows on a date. Yeah, and Ma Nucci is going to be the, the major villain of this story arc. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured. It looks like they're going to the Empire State, or at least it's a very tall building. It's the Empire State. Okay, yeah. This is recalling Garth Ennis's previous use of the Empire State building as an emblem of New York City. Yep. 
Carlo has gotten into the 104th floor, even though it's closed, a little more bribing, and Punisher follows him up, approaches the woman that he's with silently, and, and gets her out of the way, we presume non-lethally. Carlo turns around to see that a window is open and fears that she has jumped. When he sticks his head out, Punisher pulls him up by the hair, holds him on the roof. And then he gets into some really weird narration, where he starts talking about that series where he was the Punisher for Heaven and killed demons. Right. Better off forgotten. And Garth Ennis here, to his credit, seems to be kind of sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like with the earlier narration about the gimmicks and the van. He's saying, we're, we're getting rid of all that stuff. We're going back to the basics of the character. What he says in this narration, basically, is that he saw heaven once. He, he was offered it. He was offered eternity with his wife and kids. And they sent him back to this world, to the dirty brutality of, uh, of Earth. The angels thought it would be hell for me, but they were wrong. He throws Carlo Nucci off the Empire State Building. Welcome back, Frank, says New York City. Yeah. That's his big announcement to all the crime of New York City. Throwing a mobster off the Empire State. Yep. I wonder if he'll land anywhere in America and his adventure can begin. (laughs) There's a very loud splat sound effect on the second to last page. Okay. (laughs) Which I don't think you'd be able to hear from that height, but never mind. (laughs) Okay, maybe not so much with the more adventures for that guy. Yeah, so... I don't like the Punisher. (laughs) (laughs) Don't really like the character at all. Steve Dillon's art is incredible. The book is peopled with fascinating, unique-looking characters. But it's just Frank Killen, guys. Well, yeah, and it's like, how many shocking moments can you give us? You know? Like... Guys hiding behind corpses in a morgue gunfight. Later on in this miniseries comes the iconic moment where Frank punches a bear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's in the first story arc? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I kind of liked the cold open. Just, like, this rando narrating about what the Punisher was like, what running into the Punisher was like. We do get a little bit more than just Frank killing folks in this series, because... This series gives us Joan and Spacker Dave and Mr. Bumpo. Right. So at some point, Frank begins to form human connections with these people? Yeah. And I I think, for my money, the best issue of this Garth Ennis-Steve Dillon run on Punisher is going to be the kind of coda to his relationship with Joan. Okay. Well, that will have to be a surprise at a future time. (laughs) All right. And for those of you who have stuck with us this long, I'd just like to say, happy April Fool's Day, and we will be back with Preacher in two weeks. The Thompson Twins is written and hosted by me and Sean. Our music is by the Thompson Twins. Who else? The Vertigais theme is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. And the Punisher theme is by Tyler Bates. Sean produces the show. I handle social media. If you like our regular show, which is to say the Vertiguys show, head to vertiguys.blueberry.com. We've got lots more episodes of the Vertiguys show. Plus show notes for every episode. (laughs) Yeah, there aren't lots more episodes of Thompson Twins. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) You can reach me on Twitter, at Vertiguys. And you can reach me at BlankCastShawn. You can reach us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vertiguys. And you can reach us by email, vertiguys at gmail.com, if you've got questions, comments, or just want to chat about comics.
Leave us a rating and a review anywhere on the internet or in real life that you can find an opportunity to do so. Spread the word, grow our audience. Are you telling people to graffiti Vertigai's reviews? I meant if, if it comes up in a, in a social, interpersonal situation, go ahead and drop a plug for us in there. Please do not vandalize public property. But as always, or private property. <laughs> but as always, thanks for listening, everyone. Don't vandalize any property. <laughs>